Well, thank you all so much for having me. I really have missed you all. I mean, it seems like we, we just left, but it was a wonderful eight years here at Christ Community. Four of our kids were born here, well, not here, uh, but in this area. And we've had one more since then, Mary Grace. I think we have a photo here, possibly there. There's the family. So Mary Grace is, is now five. And our oldest, Jack, is a freshman in high school. And it seems like just yesterday, it was 14 years ago in March, and we were introduced to this church for the very first time on a Sunday morning. It was March 7th, 2004. And then later on, we went home. And then that night, in the middle of the night, Kara said, it's, it's time to go to the hospital. And then that next day, March 8th, 2004, Jack was born. And uh, so time just flies by. But Kara sends her love and the kids, and, and they were sad that they couldn't be here this morning. While I was here, I had the privilege of overseeing the student ministry. And a couple of the students, former students are here, Jacob and Jairus, and I was able to spend time with them and some other former students yesterday. And as I mentioned to some of these students, they were more than just students in a student ministry. They really became, along with their families, some of my closest friends, and I consider those, those eight years with those students some of the best years of my life. And, and so we really look back on you all with great fondness, great affection, and love. And so it is a privilege to be here. And good to see new faces as well. And so we are, we are praying for you all during this time of transition. And I know Pastor Jared will be a sweet blessing as he comes to you all soon. My message today is from the book of Proverbs. And it's amazing how this ancient book of wisdom still applies to us today. The Hebrew word for proverb means comparison or a resemblance. And the English word means in place of words. When we think of Proverbs, we think of these pithy observations that make a comparison or a contrast to convey the wisdom of God to his people, the wisdom of a father to a child. And the Proverbs give us a snapshot of what life is typically like. And for the most part, the Proverbs, uh, they're not promises, but they're revelations of what will usually follow if we do certain things. As one commentator said, a proverb is bearing a truth that has been tested out by time. These individual pearls of timeless, godly wisdom, not instant success formulas, but proven principles to apply that bring about an exceptional life in God's eyes. In Proverbs 3, which we're looking at today, the, the writer or the sage 
speaks of the benefits are the rewards that come from leaning upon God and his wisdom. Benefits like a spiritually rich life, favor with God, and a godly reputation in his sight. When I first began to grow in Christ as a freshman in college and began to memorize God's word, this was the very first passage, I think, that I memorized. And you all probably know this verse. Your kids probably learned this verse in, in Awana. It's one of the most famous, one of the most well-quoted passages in all of Scripture. So why don't we read it together? Is that okay? Let's read aloud together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. As I mentioned, the Proverbs, for the most part, are not promises. But I believe this proverb is one of the exceptions to that rule. Because this truth that we see here is reiterated elsewhere in Scripture. And that is, those who trust in the Lord wholeheartedly will receive guidance from Him. It has a high degree of probability to it. If you do this, then this will happen. God will guide you. God will lead you. John Piper says the main aim of these verses is for us to walk in a straight path to God. God doesn't want us to veer off the narrow path that leads to him and start down a wide path that could lead to dishonor, disobedience, destruction. He wants to make our path straight, straight to him, straight to obedience, straight to submission to Christ, straight to everlasting joy and a God-honoring life. And these verses seem to indicate four steps. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We begin our spiritual journey in Christ when we trust in Christ alone who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life in him and eternal life in the one to come in heaven. And when we trust God, when we trust Christ and the Spirit, our holy God, three in one, it's more than just an intellectual assent or belief. It's placing our very lives and a childlike, unwavering faith in our triune God. We see in the Old Testament this king, King Solomon, who was entrusted by God with all of the worldly wisdom he needed to govern. But what got Solomon into trouble was not his mind, because he was perhaps one of the wisest men who ever lived. What got Solomon into trouble was his heart. It was a heart issue. He was half-hearted in his pursuit of God. And the other half was given to false gods and foreign wives 
And our one true God said, "Uh uh-uh. That's right here in the Hebrew, "Uh uh-uh. I don't think so. I am not sharing my glory with anyone else, much less some foreign God. So when we trust, our trust must be complete and not trust in anything else that we may set up as idols in our hearts. As John Calvin speaks of, our hearts can become a factory of idols. When we put our trust in Christ, it must be in Christ alone. And when we trust, we bank on God's promises. We walk with this dependence and this assurance that God has our very best in mind. Number two, as we lean on the everlasting, we must not lean on our own understanding. And this involves not being so self-reliant. We see this self-reliant attitude celebrated in William Ernest Hensley's poem, Invictus, and that famous line, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own soul. The writer here in Proverbs 3 speaks of a similar unflinching determination, but not through relying on our own wisdom, but by looking to God, looking to Christ as the master of our own fate and the captain of our own souls. And God often in life needs to humble us, to get us to that point in which we are less dependent upon ourselves and more upon God. And humility is something that is becoming more and more rare in today's society, in this selfie, hashtagging society. So when we see this endangered virtue of humility, it's it's often quite refreshing. I remember reading recently in this book by David Brooks called The Road to Character. He tells the story of when he was driving home a few years ago. It was a Sunday night and he was listening to the radio and it was NPR radio. And it was a rebroadcast of a program that had originally aired to American troops during World War II. And it originally aired on August 15th, 1945, the day after VJ Day when Japan surrendered and thus ended the war. And the show featured some of the biggest celebrities of that time. Cary Grant, Betty Davis, Frank Sinatra, and others. And what was so striking to Brooks was the tone of humility that he heard on that program from these famous entertainers. The United States and the Allies had just completed one of the most historic military victories in human history. And yet there was no chest beating. The host of the program, Bing Crosby, came on at the end of the show 
And he said, well, it looks like this is it. What more can you say at a time like this? I guess all anybody can do is thank God. Thank God that it's over. Today, our deep down feeling is one of humility. Another actor read a passage by Ernie Pyle, the war correspondent who had died just a few months before, but he had written an article anticipating what victory would mean for the country. And he wrote, we won the war because our men are brave and because of many other things. But no, we did not win the war because destiny created us better than all other people. I hope that in victory, we are more grateful than proud. And Brooks Wright, they, they didn't go around telling themselves how great they were. They didn't print up bumper stickers commemorating their own awesomeness. No, their first instinct was to remind themselves that they were not morally superior to anyone else. Brooks then says, I arrived home before the program was over and I listened to the end of that show in my driveway for a few more minutes. And then I went inside and turned on a football game and I saw a quarterback throw a short pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. But the receiver got up and did a little victory dance as the camera lingered upon him. And it occurred to me that I had witnessed more self-celebration after a two-yard play in a football game than I had heard after the United States had won World War II. So humility is necessary as we lean upon God, as we lean not on our own understanding, but on the Lord. And it requires us on our knees, on our face before God, saying, God, I can't do it alone. I need you. I need an all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God to lead me and to guide me because I am weak. I remember running in a race one time and I see up on the course ahead of me, two people, a man and a woman, and they were running awkwardly close to one another. And I thought that seems kind of odd. But as I'm, walk, as I'm running past them, I see that the man is blind and he's running while his hand is upon the arm of the woman running next to him. He was completely dependent upon her to know where he was on the course. And he needed to hear from her how long to the next water station, how much longer in this race, what obstacles are ahead of me that I can't see. And that's the kind of dependence that God wants from us, a complete with all of our hearts dependence. Number three, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge is a bit of an impersonal 
matter of fact tone to it. But I like the Hebrew, which is to know. And all your ways have an intimate knowledge of God. Another translation reads, in all your ways, desire his presence. It means we take to God the big things, the small things, and know that he is concerned with all of it. Nothing is too minor. Nothing is too personal that we can't entrust to God and his loving care, his confidential ear. To acknowledge almost seems like giving a head nod to someone that we pass in the halls of, of school or in the workplace. I've sometimes done this when I'm walking off the airplane at the end of a flight and I may see the pilot there at the door of the cockpit and I give a little maybe head nod or, or a quick word of thanks. But later on, I think that little head nod back there was nowhere close to the kind of gratitude that I should have shown to this person. I should have pulled him in you know, for a big old bro hug for what just happened back there as he safely landed this 80-ton piece of steel with hundreds of our lives in his hands. But you know, sometimes I do that with God as well. I fail to acknowledge him. I get to the end of a day. Maybe you all are like this sometimes as well. And I realized that I had missed out. I had missed out on opportunities to worship God, to spend intimate moments of fellowship with him through his word. I had failed to turn to him in prayer. This very God who has my life in his hands. I had failed to desire his presence throughout the day. I had failed to spend time with this God who literally moved heaven and earth to come near and extend to me this free gift of eternal life by giving up his own son's life on the cross. I should have been worshiping him throughout the day with my whole heart and saying, God, I need you. I desire your presence in all things, every conversation, every decision, every fork of the road moment. I want to bring you in and trust you with everything. And then number four, he will make your path straight. God will make our path straight if we walk with him, if we go to him every day, if we go to his word, asking him through prayer, direct my steps, lead me, Father. Spirit, would you shed light on this path before me? And of course, we can't see the future. Only God can. But we can pray to God, Heavenly Father, I've seen your faithfulness in my past. I've witnessed your goodness. I've seen that walking with you doesn't mean that life will be easy without its share of, of bumps and, and detours. But you've proven yourself worthy of my trust. So I'm going to follow you and obey you today. 
and give my future to you. Since these Proverbs are pithy, little, concise statements, I want to leave you with a few short statements of application. Number one, trust and lean. Trust and lean. These two words, trust and lean, are very close in meaning. Trusting in this context means putting yourself in the hands of another who is greater than you. Leaning is not just reclining, but putting all of your weight against something for support. Trust and lean. It's been six years since I've been with you all. Six years since, since my mom passed away of, of lung cancer. And I miss her every day. And I know that you have lost loved ones in that time period as well. People in your family, beautiful saints from our, our church family here, like Linda English, Musa Masaki, David Blood, Thange Blood, Joyce Neese, Pete Peterson, Joanne Conrad, Arnold Morris, Jeff Berta, our dear Beth Moore, and others that I may be missing. But yet we trust and lean, even when we're not sure how to go on. We trust and we lean. And second, we acknowledge and obey. To acknowledge God, again, is more than just a tip of the hat. It's being aware of God in all things, to know him in all things, to worship him, to desire his presence, and to fellowship with him. It's abandoning our will for his will. And if we do so, God will guide the course of our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a promise because it expresses a truth that we see elsewhere in Scripture. And that is people who trust, people who lean, people who acknowledge, people who obey God, they will experience His guidance and His leading throughout their lives. At our church in San Antonio called Wayside Chapel, I serve as the campus pastor at our second campus, which is in the area of San Antonio, known as Stone Oak. Our first campus, which is over 50 years old, is right off of one of the main highways there in San Antonio. So it has a little bit more of an urban feel to it. But our new campus, which is where I'm at, is only is two years old, and it's totally different. It's 18 acres of, of wooded hill country, and there's all kinds of wildlife running around. I mean, you, you pull into the, to the campus on a Monday morning and you'll see deer running around. You'll see uh, roadrunners, uh, wild turkeys, uh, crazy black squirrels are running around. And occasionally during the lunch hour, I'll try to go for a little jog. There's some trails right behind the campus. And it's nice enjoying God's creation up there. And the trail extends for several miles up to this park. 
But before you get to the park, you first have to run through this tunnel. Now, I think I have a picture of it. And the first time I ran through this tunnel, I was a little nervous because I had a vision of this anaconda-like snake jumping out at me <laughs> in the darkness. And I think I set a personal best time in my 40-yard dash the first time <laughs> I'm running through this thing and I'm waving the light of my cell phone. And I'm just ready to use it as a, as a blunt weapon <laughs> against whatever python or, or hill country sewer gator was waiting for me there in the, in the darkness. And now, after running through it for several years, it's just as dark, but it's not as intimidating. Because I run not with the focus on the darkness around me, but my eyes are focused on the light at the end of the tunnel. In contrast, a few summers ago, our family, uh, we went to this place in Wimberley. Some of you may have been here before. It's a place called Jacob's Well. And it's just north of San Antonio. And it's this natural spring-fed pool. And you can jump off these rocks into this hole of water that goes down 120 feet through a series of underwater chambers and, and caves. But the difference here at Jacob's Well is that there is no light at the end. The deeper you swim, the darker it gets. Some of you all may be in that place of suffering and pain right now. But we can see that season of heartache and darkness more in terms of the tunnel rather than the well. Because in the tunnel, it can still be uncomfortable at times. But we lean upon God and we trust in Him and our eyes are set on Christ and the light of His love and the path that He has set before us. And when we place our faith in Christ, we can have an assurance of our salvation to come and rest knowing that our path will lead us to his glory and his light that awaits us on heaven's celestial shores. And my prayer is that until then, we wouldn't waste our lives. I remember back in 2004, 2005, going through with the youth, the study by John Piper on his book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's a great little book. And the first part of that book still has stuck with me. When he's talking about the story of sitting in church as a child, Piper's father had just shared the gospel that Sunday morning in church. And he gives, an he gives an altar call. And then after a while, this elderly man starts walking down the center aisle. And as he comes to the front, 
he's sobbing and he's weeping and he's crying out, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. How tragic that would be if we got to the end of our lives and feel that we've wasted it. It's never too late to start living for God, trusting in Him with all of our ways, leaning upon His righteousness as we serve Christ and point others to faith in Him. In Stuart and and Jill Briscoe's book, Improving with Age, they say that as we get older, we try to do three things with age. We try to deny it. We're in, we're in denial about our kids being in high school. Uh, defy it or delay it. But ultimately, age will defeat all of us. Age is still undefeated. But God's plan could become even sweeter as we get older and see each new stage as even more joyful, even more spiritually productive than the last, as God is using us in even greater ways for his glory. I'm so sorry that I couldn't be here with you all for Pastor Bill's send-off. My heart was with you all, and, and I was thinking about him. And I thank God for Pastor Bill who finished well here at Christ Community. If you sat under his preaching for any number of years, whether it be five years or eight years like me or 15 or all 24, then you sat under faithful, sound preaching and teaching from God's word and loving care from a faithful shepherd and pastor and theologian. But God isn't done with Bill Eubanks. God isn't done using him to make disciples of Christ. It's just a new season of spiritual productivity. So imagine for a moment, your life is made up of four quarters in a basketball game. I guess I need to adjust this illustration from a a Spurs game to a Mavs game, (laughs) now that I'm in in the Metroplex. But imagine that each quarter of the game represents 20 years of your life. That would put me at the start of the third quarter. I'm 43. And being in the third quarter, I feel like I'm pretty pretty warmed up. I'm in a pretty good spot spiritually, a pretty good place with the family. Uh, We're almost celebrating 19 years of marriage in in January. Five kids are are doing pretty well. But the game is far from over. I cannot grow complacent or feel like I can just coast spiritually and emotionally. I need to continue to plead with God to increase my spiritual hunger for Him. 
the things of him, his word. I need to yearn for more and more of Christ. I need to keep pursuing my wife. I need to continue to spiritually invest in my family as, that, as they are now becoming young adults. So what quarter are you in? Remember the first quarter, zero to 20. Second is 21 to 40. Third, 41 to 60. Fourth is 61 to 80. Zero, if you are, oh, if you're in overtime. <laughs> 81 to 100. And that's the most exciting part of any game, overtime. If you are in double overtime, <laughs> over 100, God bless you. you know, please come tell us all of your, your secrets to aging well. So I want everybody here on the count of three to hold up what quarter you are currently in. Are you ready? You're not going to look around. Are you ready? All right. One, two, three. What quarter are you in? All right. Hold up those. Any O's? Okay. All right. Mark Wagner, put up another finger there. Don't lie. Uh, <laughs> Whatever quarter you are in, God is not done with you. He's not finished with you. At the end of your life, you don't want people to say, wow, did he have a great first half? Or did you see her second quarter? No. God wants us to persevere. He wants us to finish well. He wants us to stretch out to the tape of the finish line of life. It's like when my five-year-old Mary, a couple of summers ago, when she jumped off the side of the pool for the first time without her floaties on. She didn't jump. She didn't jump because she knows how to swim. She jumped out to us with this reckless abandonment because Again, not because of her perceived strength in the water, but because she knows she has a loving mother. She has this caring father that will catch her. Is life scary? Do we sometimes fall on our face? Do we experience great disappointment and suffering and sadness? Of course we do. But life's too short just to dip our toe in the shallow end of the pool. No, we would rather, God would rather have us trust him like this, like the cliff divers in Mexico. We can still say to God, God, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of heights or darkness, but I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna lean upon you. I'm gonna acknowledge you in all things and trust you and obey your word as I swan dive into the great sea and mystery of your will for my life. I trust you, my loving heavenly father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great faithfulness this morning. We thank you for your word. As we read on in Proverbs 3, maybe later today or, or later this week, we see the benefits of leaning upon you, leaning upon your everlasting teaching 
your everlasting ways, your generosity, your discipline, your wisdom that you freely impart to us as your children whom you love. And Father, may we spend the rest of our lives, however long that may be, telling others of who you are, pointing others to saving faith in Christ alone, pointing others to the wonders of your love, the goodness of your grace, our good, good Father, as we lean upon you and trust you and acknowledge and obey you in all things. And Father, I ask and I pray if there's any man or woman here, any boy or girl who has yet to say, Christ, I believe in you. I trust in you alone for eternal life. Would they do so today? For we have but one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Father, I thank you for my dear friends here. I have missed them. I love them. I treasure them. Lord, I do pray that you would bless this church, continue to favor it, especially now during this time of transition as Pastor Jared and his wife and their three girls move here from Washington. I pray that you would continue to do a mighty work as you use these people to advance the Great Commission to further your kingdom as they desire to reach this community, to reach this city and this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for having me. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, our good, good Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit fill you as you leave this place today. Have a great week, and I hope to see you again soon.